This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive that which you may have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we encounter the wild and wonderful Advent character, John the Baptist. If you want to get to Bethlehem, you must first go by the River Jordan and John the Baptist. If you want to appreciate the joy to the world who was born in a manger, you must first be confronted by this prophet in the wilderness. John proclaims the kingdom of heaven has come near. And we may think, good, at last, God has come to help us. His kingdom can't come soon enough. Maybe now God will sort out everything in our messed up world. Except that's not the whole message that John is bringing. Indeed, when he sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he cries out, you brood of vipers. Try that in one of your Christmas cards. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? bear fruit worthy of repentance. And we might be tempted to think he's having a go at a bunch of undesirable people, and that this kind of challenge, this kind of warning, could never apply to us here in church this morning. And yet, as if anticipating such a response, St. John the Baptist continues, and don't say, we have Abraham for our father, Or in other words, don't tell me that you or your family have always been good Christians, that you're kind to your friends, you're generous, and everyone thinks you're a halfway decent person. That doesn't count for anything. For every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and tossed into the fire. So what does count? Well, according to John the Baptist, three things. First... Repentance. The message of John the Baptist is a message for all of us. A message which calls us to measure our lives not by what nine out of ten Americans think, but by what Almighty God commands. The call to repent perhaps sounds old-fashioned, stark, maybe even a bit offensive. And yet... It is what John and after him Jesus both preached. Indeed, every follower of Jesus has had to come face to face with this call to repent. St. Paul, when he encountered Jesus, had to repent of his part in a murder and realized in his heart that he'd have to make a complete U-turn which is what repent means. It means to turn around in how he lived, what he preached in his whole life. Or St. Augustine, a self-confessed thief and slave to lust, he hurt everybody around him, not least his mother. And yet when he was 32, 
after reading words of St. Paul, was utterly convicted of his sin. He repented, dedicated his life to God, and became one of the greatest theologians and, of course, a, a great bishop in the church. And I'm sure that we could all think of other great examples from long ago and far away. But what about us here now, this morning? What if John the Baptist came marching down the center aisle and called us to repent? What if he stopped at your pew and said to you, repent? I mean, I know it's a terribly embarrassing scenario, and, and I dare say most of us, well, we'd all be looking in one direction. It would be down. We'd have something very busy to take care of. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I mean, that's how people go when you ask for a volunteer. Can you imagine being told to be repent? Maybe we'd know exactly of what we needed to repent. Or, or maybe we wouldn't. I think it's possible to become so accustomed to the minor sins in our lives that we're quite content to live with them. After all, aren't some sins okay? A small lie, an occasional outburst, being self-centered for an afternoon. Are these things so bad? How easily we use words and phrases to justify our sinful and selfish behavior. I'm just setting boundaries. I'm just having some me time. I'm an Enneagram 10, so, so I'm hardwired to be the way I am. And if you don't like my temper, my moods, my fill-in-the-blank, well, that's your problem. Get over it. But small lies, a little hatred, a little lust, or just a bit of selfishness are not okay. And so each one of us needs to hear and respond to the message of John the Baptist. And so this word repent stands before us, this calling to have a change of heart, to turn, to change our ways. And that is what happens when we first become Christians. We turn from evil and turn to Christ. And as well as being something that has happened in the past, repentance is something that we need to be doing constantly. And while John's words were directed against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, let us not excuse ourselves from their challenge. We who are Christians, we who are followers of Jesus, need to hear this message of repentance again and again. Indeed, that's why every Sunday in our liturgy, we are invited to confess our sins and humbly repent, as we did at the start of our service. And while being convicted afresh of our own sin may be uncomfortable, the good news of this call to repent is that when we repent, God is always more ready to forgive than we are to ask for his forgiveness. He's always ready to extend his grace to us and grant us mercy, healing, and forgiveness. In 1 Peter 4.17, we're reminded that judgment begins with the household of God. And theologian Frederick Bruner writes, the wrath of God is not the irritability of God, it is the love of God in friction with justice. 
It is the warm, steady, patient, but absolutely fair grace of God in collision with manifest selfishness. God's wrath does not contradict God's love. It proves it. A love that pampers injustice is not lovable, end quote. And Jess reminded us last week of this truth when we were thinking about that Advent theme of judgment. The judgment of God demonstrates that he cares about injustice. He cares about suffering. He has done something about it, and he will finally do something about it. John the Baptist offering his baptism to Israel was shocking. For in their minds, they didn't need it. Indeed, prior to this time, Israel only baptized Gentile converts who joined them, not Jewish people. Baptism was for outsiders, the unclean that needed washing. But John was saying that the insiders also needed to be made clean. And yet John's preaching could only go so far. He could only set the stage for Jesus. John could preach the need for repentance. He could call for the confession of sins. But his chief task was to point to Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets who'd gone before. What John could not do was forgive sins or give the Holy Spirit. John's ministry actually couldn't do the main thing. He couldn't deal with the real problem. He couldn't deal with sin. And nor could he impart the main resource we have for living faithful lives, namely the Holy Spirit. But that is exactly what Jesus came to do. John's message still rings loud and clear. Repent, turn around, change. Look to Jesus. Receive his baptism and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think too often we tend to try and justify ourselves, whereas John teaches us to be honest with ourselves. The people came to John to confess their sins. You know, the remedy for sin is not denying it or explaining it or blessing it. No, we need to acknowledge our sin, face it, confess it. And we need to confess it to God, that we have done what we ought not to have done. And we have not done that which we ought to have done. And so the first word for this morning is repentance. But John the Baptist goes on to exhort us, secondly, to prepare the way of the Lord. I'm sure there are all kinds of preparations that will go on over the next three weeks as we prepare our homes for guests, as we get ready for concerts or dramas, as we write those cards or we go shopping or whatever it is. But the most important preparations in this season of Advent are those that can so easily be squeezed out by all the other stuff. And those are the preparations that make us ready to receive Christ. 
John saw his job as helping the people prepare the roads for the coming of the most important person of all, the Messiah. And he wasn't calling them to fix the physical infrastructure of the town, but rather the spiritual infrastructure of their lives. The road he had in mind surely was the road to their hearts. And I should imagine that for most of us, the infrastructure of our lives is fairly complicated. We juggle a million and one things. We have many different roles as friends, as parents, as employees or employers, as leaders or followers, as children, as spouses, as teachers, as learners. And with all these competing demands and all these distractions, how easily the road to our hearts becomes blocked. I wonder how clear or cluttered is the road to your heart. And as you ponder that question, remember, even though God knows our hearts, he doesn't force his way in. Rather, he invites us to let him in to prepare a way. What habits or attitudes or sins are there for which we still need to repent? You see, when we don't clear the road to our heart, when we don't repent, when we refuse to repent, something happens. There are consequences of hiding behind piles of unrepented sin or harboring hurts that have never been brought to God for healing or from simply turning our backs from God, running away from him. What happens is that our hearts grow cold toward God. Those things that are in the way of the Lord coming to us rob us of the intimacy, peace, hope, love, understanding, and the Lord's I love you that comes when the Prince of Peace is invited into your heart. We will sing at Christmas where meek souls will receive him. Still the dear Christ enters in. Let me say this, the good news this morning is that we don't have to have this all figured out and be all squeaky clean before Jesus will come to us. He can actually navigate potholes and bumps in the road. He will actually help us make the path straight. But the one thing that he doesn't do is just blast away in. And the, the tragic thing is many people will go through this season keeping Jesus at arm's length. Maybe they know that he loves them and wants them wants, hit, wants to come into their lives. Maybe they know that. Maybe they have sensed for some time that they really need to get closer. Or rather, I should say, let him get closer to them. But other people don't know this. Maybe they have yet to see their need for Jesus or to understand that the emptiness, the isolation, the longing that they feel inside cannot be filled by anyone or anything other than the one who came to be born at Christmas. I truly believe that there is no way, no way at all to know lasting inner peace and wholeness other than 
through accepting God's gift in Christ. So today, hear what John the Baptist says to us. First, repent. Second, prepare the way of the Lord. And third, John calls us, verse 8, to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. But what is that? And uh, how can we produce that in our lives? In his letter to uh, the Galatians, St. Paul describes this fruit for us. The fruit of the Spirit, and many of you will know this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's worth noting that this fruit is singular. It's a singular noun, not plural. So these nine qualities... Uh, which Paul describes are not individual fruits from which we're free to kind of pick and choose, like selections in a fruit bowl. Rather, they are all crucial for developing a fruitful life. It is as we live our lives bearing this kind of fruit, fruit in keeping with repentance, that we can have hope, even in the face of the darkest despair. Advent is a time that is pregnant with hope. And this is very much the theme of Paul's teaching in our epistle reading this morning, which I'm not going to spend long on, but I want to touch on. It's the very practical stuff of which Paul wants us to grab hold. Verse 1, we who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We certainly need help to do that. Verse 2, Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up our neighbor. And Paul reminds us that it is by steadfastness and the encouragement of the scriptures that we can have hope. And so the Christian life is one of endurance. As we wait, we wait the advent of Christ coming again. We're caught up in this tension every day of living between the now and the not yet, of living in the midst of things that are broken and cause us pain and suffering, even as we long for the final fulfillment. And yet in our struggles, as we endure, as we repent, as we prepare our hearts and bear fruit, there is such great hope and joy. The scriptures encourage us. And indeed, Paul writes in the next verse, God himself encourages us, But how can we have this hope? How can we bear this fruit of love and joy and peace and patience? And the answer is in the final verse of our epistle reading. And Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way as we believe in him and by the power of the Holy Spirit trusting in Christ needs to be something that we do every day it's often not easy to trust someone else with the things that matter the most to us when we're concerned about our health or our children our job our money our relationships These things can be areas of our lives when it is very, very hard to trust. 
but it is precisely in these areas that we can and should trust in God. He is trustworthy. And when we do, when we trust him, that's when we may experience the joy and the peace that only comes from God, that doesn't really make sense given how hard things are, and yet God is able to do that which we can never do in our own strength. If you're living in the midst of anxiety or grief or uncertainty, how else can you possibly know peace and joy? Indeed, the very notion seems impossible. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is possible. I know that this is true. I have experienced this time and time again. The one for whom we prepare the way this Advent is the one who has come and will come again, and who in the meantime, as we wait, gives us his spirit to help us. So let me finish with three questions. First, how clear is your heart to receive Christ? Second, how willing are you to trust God? And third, how willing are you to let the Holy Spirit fill you and produce that good fruit in your life? If you're not seeing the fruit of, of repentance in your life, could it be that the road to your heart is cl so cluttered that Jesus can't get close to you? Could it be that today you need to hear again and respond to this call to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near? Brothers and sisters in Christ, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths in your life for him to come to you afresh and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And I want to, as we close, I want to invite you to take a moment right now, once again, to turn away from sin and turn to Christ. Let's just be still. Let me, let me say this. If you would like someone to support you and pray for you in your response, I encourage you to come to one of our prayer teams this morning. Ask them to pray for you during Holy Communion. And now let me close with these words of Paul. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.